Coming up, Grand Deceptions, Mad Obsessions, and the War of Northern Aggression. Also, a tiny existential crisis and more questions for Aunt Gody as our journey into cinematic damnation continues. Knuckle up, my pretties. We're taking on the fourth movie you watch in hell on this episode of Kiss the Goat. Let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity. candle for the sinners set the world on fire love is like a butterfly love is like oxygen love is friendship that has caught fire love is looking ahead not behind love 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 this circle is closed and no one may enter or exit without the express written permission of danielle Steele. <laughs> This is episode 48 of Kiss the Goat, and welcome to it. We're in the home stretch now, friends and acolytes, as we wearily yet humbly approach the second level of hell. Fourth movie, second level. If you don't understand how that works, just stop trying, okay? Just <laughs> accept it. This is complicated podcast stuff and, and math. Really, as long as you're listening to the show, everything will be cool. I'll be honest, I'm so fucking ready for this to be over. Like, this whole chick flick thing is wearing me out. You know, I think we've had a few long dark nights of the soul during this experiment. Experiment? You're calling this an experiment? Hey, we've gone off concept before. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we've only got one more movie in this series to watch. Then we can let history decide whether or not this was a successful venture. History and ratings. Yeah, we'll see how many <laughs> downloads this shit gets. I'm curious for sure. Yeah, I am too. Uh, I'm not going to think about that today. I'm going to go get a refreshing drink of some kind. And when we come back, we'll check in with our true crime correspondent, Aaron Sunday, for the breaking point. Hang loose, folks. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. 
Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as Witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs. The Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. Let's roll around in some human muck and let Aaron Sunday tell us a sweet little story about another real person who reached the breaking point. I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. I need a divorce. Here, sign these. I'm leaving. And I want a divorce. What, you're saying what, you want a divorce? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe I do. Well, I'm an adult man! And I don't need any of this! I don't need this stuff! And I don't need you! I don't need anything except this! I tell you, that's the only thing I need is this! I just want to be left the hell alone! Are you asking me for a divorce? Hey guys! <laughs> I'm Miss Aaron. Hi. Hi. You guys are gonna love this. I found another Lonely Hearts Killer. Oh shit, what? What? Nice. The Lonely Hearts Killer. Last week we did Lonely Hearts Killers mm-hmm. out of New York City, and I found another one. Just this one's in Alabama, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We went from. Way up high to down low. Uh, Funny but true story. I had to call several people in Alabama today. So this is completely apropos. (laughs) This one, uh, this Lonely Hearts killer, uh, she holds a special place in my heart. For personal reasons, of course. Gonna love her name. Oh, yeah? Can you guess it? I'll give you a hint. You love when I say it. Pam? Oh, Pam! Nope, Nanny. Nanny, oh wow, okay. Oh, my, her name is Nanny? Nanny Doss, the Jolly Black Widow, Lady Bluebird, the Lonely Hearts Killer, the Giggling Granny, Giggling Nanny, Nanny Doss. That sounds terrifying all the way around. Yeah, she's got one, two, three, four... Five nicknames or whatever they call them. So yeah, you get to hear me pronounce nanny over and over. Yeah. And over. It's like Christmas. <laughs> right? I'm glad you enjoy it. She was born November 4th, 1905. Fucking Sagittarius. Sounds so long ago. Uh she was born in Blue Mountain, Alabama, and her parents were Louisa. She went by Lou. And James. She had one brother, three sisters, and her dad was really controlling. So both Nanny and her mom, Lou, actually hated him. He would force the kids to work on the farm instead of going to school. And uh, because that was the priority, Nanny struggled 
academically and left school after sixth grade. When she was seven, she was on a train with her family going to visit relatives and the train suddenly stopped. When that happened, she fell forward and she hit her head on the metal bar in, in the front seat or the seat in front of her. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years, she suffered from severe headaches, blackouts and depression. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was pretty fucking hard. Did she go bald? Did she go bald? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. That's another similarity to the other Lonely Hearts Killers story, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Full circle. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, she had problems from her head injury. Um, her favorite hobby as a kid was reading her mom's romance magazines. And, like, daydreaming about her one true love that she'll find one day. Oh, boy. She, that was her hobby. That's what she did for fun. So, yikes. Cinderella complex. (laughs) As she got older, her favorite part was the Lonely Hearts columns. She'd just sit and read them all the time. Her dad, he would refuse to let them... Like, her and her sisters wear makeup and attractive clothing um, to try and avoid them getting molested. He was trying to protect them, I guess. They were forbidden from going to school dances and social gatherings, and they couldn't even be friends with boys. Despite all the restrictions on them, they were sexually assaulted anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until Nanny got her first job in 1921 that she really interacted with guys at all, which is crazy to me. Yeah. She started working when she was 16, and instead of attending school and, like, doing what normal kids do, uh, she worked in a linen factory. A linen factory? like Yeah, like a cotton mill. Oh, okay. Yeah. When she wasn't working, she buried her head in romance novels um, and the Lonely Hearts Club sections and stuff. She was just obsessed with it. She also got married when she was 16 to a guy named Charlie Braggs. He was a co-worker of hers. Um, And her father actually approved, and they got married only four months after dating. Charlie Braggs, he was the only son of a single mother, and she insisted on continuing to live with them after they got married. She actually wrote, um, I married, as my father wished, in 1921 to a boy I only knowed about four or five months who had no family, only a mother who was unwed, and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. She never seen anything wrong with what he done, but she would take spells. She would not let my own mother stay all night. Wow. So his mom took up a lot of his attention and really limited Nanny. And so, of course, she was very unhappy. Uh, in, from 1923 to 1927, they had four daughters. Um, <laughs> and Wait. 1923 to 1927? Yeah. So four years. Four years and four kids. Uh-huh. Damn. Yeah, lots of hate sex, I guess. I guess if you can't afford a calendar. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah. 
four daughters in four years, and she wasn't happy. His mother stressed them both out. Um, so she started drinking, and she casually smoked, but then just became a heavy, heavy smoker. Both of them suspected each other of cheating, and they were both correct. Braggs would often just disappear for days. They lost their first two girls in 1923 to what they thought was food poisoning at the time, but some suspected that Nanny had killed them. After 1926, around there, uh, Braggs took his firstborn daughter, Florine, and fled leaving Melvina and Nanny. These are some hot first names we've got in this. I know. It's, right? it's, it's nuts. She was left with one daughter. He took the oldest daughter, or the oldest out of the two that they had. And then soon after, Bragg's mother died. And Nanny took a job in a cotton mill. Bragg's brought his daughter back in summer of 1928, accompanied by a woman and her own child. Bragg's and Nanny, of course, divorced soon after that and then nanny took her two girls back to her mom's home bragg always maintained he left her because he was scared of her <laughs> which is interesting because they two of their children also died you know he was the one that got away luckily um <laughs> <laughs> He was like, this bitch be crazy. <laughs> Get away or run away. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So she was living and working in Anniston. And she started back reading romance magazines and novels to try and soothe her loneliness. Again, she was mainly drawn to the Lonely Hearts columns. Uh, she began actually writing to the men who left ads. And one particular one interested her. It was Robert Franklin, or Frank, Harrelson. He was 23. He was a factory worker from Jacksonville. He sent her romantic poetry, and she sent him a cake. I don't understand how the two equate, but it's fine. <laughs> like, no prob. This romantic poetry is as easy to whip up as cake stupid he sent her romantic poetry and she sent him a cake they actually finally met and got married in 1929 she was 24 and that was two years after her divorce from Braggs her first husband they lived together in Jacksonville with her two daughters Melvina and Florine after a few months she realized that he was an alcoholic he was also in debt and he had a criminal record for assault. He mainly loved getting into bar fights. Golly, who doesn't? That's probably that's probably where all, all three problems came from, right? <laughs> right. Alcoholic, in debt, and criminal record for assault. So, oh uh, <clears throat> despite this, though, their marriage lasted 16 years. Wow, kind of impressed with that. In 1943, Nanny's oldest daughter... Melvina uh, had her first child and named him Robert. She had another in 1945. Even though the baby was healthy, she died soon after being born for unexplained reasons. Bar fights. <laughs> yeah, bar fights. Another baby followed two years later, but died soon afterwards. Good Lord, how many babies did that woman pop out? <laughs> well, this is Melvina. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I lost track. Daughter. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's hard to. Yeah. There's lots of baby having. <laughs> um, it, she was exhausted from labor and groggy. Melvina thought she saw her mother stick a hat pin into the baby's head. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, when she asked her husband and sister for clarification, they said Nanny had told them the baby was dead and that they noticed she was holding a pin. However, the doctors couldn't give a positive explanation for why the baby died. So basically, they didn't do anything about it. Wow. Yeah. Of course, the parents, they're grieving, right? Well, they drift apart and Melvina starts dating a soldier. Nanny disapproved of him. Nanny and Melvina had had a really bad fight. And so Melvina went to go see her dad. And while Nanny was watching him, her son died. So you've got Nanny somehow being involved with all of these murders. Well, deaths. But nobody is actually connecting the dots yet. How dumb do you have to fucking be? I... I don't know. Pretty fucking dumb, apparently. The death was actually diagnosed as asphyxia from unknown causes. <laughs> and yet, why this is not suspicious, I don't know. Two months later, Nanny collected $500 life insurance that she took out on that baby. Wow. So I guess yeah. you could just get away with fucking anything in the 40s, huh? She- Definitely murder. That's probably where the saying came from, huh? Mm. Jesus. Japan surrendered to the Allied powers in 1945, and Harrelson was among the most of the partiers. Like, he he just was going crazy about, like, yay, we won, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We won, whatever. (laughs) So after a night of heavy drinking... He, according to Nanny, raped her. So the next day, she was out in her rose garden and she discovered his whiskey jar. And because she she just had the last straw, you know, he him raping her, you know, which is what? How, how not surprising is that? It's fucked up. So anyway, she took the jar and put rat poison in it. <laughs> in the whiskey? Yeah, yeah. Oh, foul play. Yeah, and he apparently just died this slow, painful death that night. Like, I can't imagine. But he yeah. kind of deserved it, too. Well. Um, <laughs> There's just some really shitty people doing really shitty things to each other. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nanny met her third husband. His name was Arlie Lanning. These names are just amazing. They're pretty incredible. And they're really bringing out all of the A sounds that I do. And I don't (laughs) like it. (laughs) I love it. Keep doing it. Nanny met Lanning. Ugh. (laughs) Anyway, she met him through another Lonely Hearts column. Uh, and she was, I guess, I don't know, maybe she was reading a local paper or something, but she was traveling at the time in Lexington, North Carolina. So she met him probably by the local column. And three days later, 
they got married. Like her last husband, Lanning was an alcoholic and a womanizer. However, it was her. She would go off and disappear for months on end. In her previous marriage, it was like they both did that to each other. But mainly the husband. Now she's doing it. When she was home, she played like the doting housewife, you know. Mm -hmm. In 1950, after they were married two and a half years, he became ill and died. At the time, it was believed that he died of heart failure because of a flu bug that was going around. It was Um, the whiskey, wasn't it? I don't know. Like fever, vomiting, stomach pains, you know how it goes with the flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they thought because of his history of drinking, he his body just couldn't take it. So they didn't do an autopsy. And the whole town really like supported her and came out to the funeral and stuff. Weird. His house was left to his sister and within two months it burned down. Fuck a doodle do. What? Yeah. It burned down before the sister had taken ownership, so she wasn't going to get the money. Nanny was. So (laughs) Nanny moved in temporarily with her mother-in-law, but as soon as she got the insurance check, she left North Carolina and ended up at her sister's house. She wanted to be with her because she was dying of cancer. So that's a reasonable reason to want to see your sister. Her name was Dovey, which I find interesting because the rest of them are so hard to say for me. Um, (laughs) But just before she was set to move in with her sister, her mother-in-law died in her sleep. Soon after that, Dovey died while Nanny was taking care of her. So what's the body count now? Has anybody keep been keeping track of this shit? Cause... Are we counting World War II? Cause... <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can blame Nanny for that at I'm this point. I'm thinking so. <laughs> I mean, goddamn. <laughs> the baby's yeah. dying, husband's dying, yeah. uh, son-in-law's dying, just fucking everybody dying around Nanny right now. Yeah, she started looking for another husband. So she joined a dating service called the Diamond Circle Club and met Richard Morton. Uh, They married in October of 52 and settled down in Kansas, which is the best state ever, let me tell you. And lots of that. Why would you settle down in Kansas? (laughs) Who knows? I mean, money. Like, you move there if you have a job, maybe. I don't know. He didn't have a drinking problem, but he was a latest man. Uh, She learned that he was seeing his old girlfriend. Uh, She was actually fine with it because she was already interested in a new guy. And he was from Kansas and his name was Samuel Doss. Before she could take care of Richard, her father died and her mother came for a visit. Within days, her mother was dead. And before, like, before she died, she was complaining of stomach cramp. And then three months later, Morton, her husband, ended up dying. Damn, y'all. She ended up marrying Samuel Doss, the guy who she started seeing. He was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, They got married in 53, June of 53. And he was a Nazarene minister. And he was dealing with the death of his wife and nine children who were killed by a tornado in Arkansas. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. 
he was a good guy. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a womanizer. He wasn't an abuser. Just a church-going guy who fell in love. So what the but, hell was Nanny doing with him then? Because that doesn't I, seem to be her type. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but he was like a penny pusher. Very frugal. Apparently a downright bore. Mm. He lived like a very strict, structured life and expected her to live that way too. So... No romance novels or love stories on television. Bedtime was at 9.30 p.m. every night. Uh, I, so it was a controlling environment, which, in my opinion, is a form of abuse, but whatever. She hated it, of course, so she returned to Alabama. But soon after that, Samuel agreed to sign her onto his checking account. So she got back with him. Uh, and, and she started doing the whole caring, doting wife thing. Because now she had access to his money. That's exactly what I about said. Just, yep, she's got his money yep. now. She can she could put up with anything. This whole thing just sounds like a fucking soap opera on Telemundo. Yeah, it does. Maybe, maybe there's soap operas on Telemundo because of Nanny. You never know. Maybe so. <laughs> she has access to his money. She also convinces Samuel to take out two life insurance policies, leaving her as the only benefactor. <laughs> you know, guys, I just have to say, or and women, if the person you're with suddenly is like, you know what, you need to take out a couple of life insurance policies, run for the border. Go, go to Canada. <laughs> Fucking just go, because that is never a good thing. Where were you when I was in my marriage? I could have used that advice. <laughs> he take, you know, he signs her as the benefactor, and then soon after, he was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms after she laced a prune cake with arsenic. Imagine that. The hospital diagnosed a severe digestive tract infection. No shit. Yeah, he was treated for a month and then released on October 5th. When he returned home, she put arsenic in his coffee and food, a nice hot meal, in order to collect the two life insurance policies. And then he later died that evening. So she was like, oh, he got better. This means that I have to kill him tonight. Of course him suddenly dying after he was better made the doctor suspect foul play. So mm -hmm. he convinced her somehow to allow him to do an autopsy. He told her that it would save lives in the future if he could determine what illness had caused the death of her husband. <laughs> so the funny thing to me is why would you agree to that when you know they're going to figure that out? I don't... Why didn't she just make him a kid? Right. <laughs> right. Well, she'd gotten away with it so many times. By this point, yeah. she had to be feeling pretty cocky. Yeah, I guess. That's what I'm thinking. So, the autopsy revealed enough arsenic in his system to kill a horse. He, of course, the doctor, alerted the police, and then she got arrested. During interrogation, she confessed to killing her husband in return for being allowed to keep her romance novels. Wow. Isn't that nuts? Wow. So they exhumed several of the bodies of the people that they suspected she was involved with, and it confirmed they died of rat poisoning or arsenic. She confessed to killing four of her husbands, 
her mother, her sister, her grandson, and her mother-in-law. So that's four husbands, five is her mother, six is her sister, seven grandson, eight mother-in-law. So she confessed to eight, but... A lot of people believe that she might have killed up to 11. Because, I mean, you've got it, her two daughters. Yeah. The state of Oklahoma, they only tried Nanny for Samuel Doss. So out of eight that she confessed to, they only tried her for one. She was deemed sane and able to stand trial, even though she claimed that the accident that happened to her as a child affected her emotional and mental state. She actually looked like she was enjoying the attention. She even joked about her dead husbands with the press. She'd talk about the methods she used to kill them. Like one was her sweet potato pie that she laced with arsenic. Like she would talk about it and laugh and smile. She insisted that money played no role in her crimes, but come on. Bullshit. Said her murders were actually motivated by marital boredom. <laughs> she wanted to find her ideal husband, like she read about in the magazines and the novels that she read. And she said, that's about it. I was searching for the perfect mate, the real romance of life. Um, after she was given life, she said, I have no hard feelings. So, like, <laughs> she didn't. She didn't care. Um, she, of course, pleaded guilty on May 17th, 1955, and she was sentenced to life imprisonment. The only reason why the state didn't pursue the death penalty was because of her gender, which I find fascinating. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, she was never charged with the other deaths, and she died from leukemia in the hospital at Oklahoma State Penitentiary. So, June 5th, 1965, she died. That's crazy. That's like 20-something years of killing 30. people. 30, okay. And all of them family members. Yep, isn't that great? How easy was it to get arsenic back then? Well, I think probably pretty easy, I imagine. Because I can't imagine they just had that shit at the Kroger. No. Well, at the drugstore, you would think, probably, or the True Value Hardware store or something. I don't know. <laughs> the, the co-op. I mean, it's it's rat poisoning, right? It's got arsenic yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. So. I think back then, rat poison had arsenic. I don't think it does anymore. I could be wrong, but... I don't, um, I don't I've never yeah. bought rat poison, so... <laughs> Note to self, that is not the correct thing to add to baked goods. <laughs> I think, I think note to self for me is never piss off a woman before she's cooking you a meal. <laughs> I just can't, I mean, I gotta think, I've been fucking bored in marriage before. Like, we've all been there, right? But, yep. Jesus. Why do you have to kill the person you're with to find the other person? Especially if you're female... And the court system usually sides with the female in a divorce situation, and she would get their money anyway. I mean, I'm looking for rationality here, and I know it's not there. Uh, women killers, that's, I think, the number one way that they kill is poisoning. poisoning. Yeah. So uh, it makes sense that she would choose that, and it's less messy. You know, you don't have to cover it up as well, probably especially back then. As long as there might be a health issue that they could have died from, then they don't do autopsies and stuff, and they don't well, care. Yeah, and it's not a really 
I mean, as far as methods of killing someone goes, that's probably the least violence as far as physical confrontation. It's just kind of like, I'm going to feed this to you and then you're mm-hmm. going to just kind of die. You know, yep. I don't have to shoot you in the face. I don't have to fight you. There's no wrestling. There's mm-hmm. just this sudden physical ailment. And yeah, it's just with with killings like this feels so you know a lot of the physical violence stuff i feel like a lot of time is fueled by a passion passionate anger or whatever this just seems like offensive in the way that these were people who were in her family and she basically did it so that she could go and do something else so it had nothing to do with the people or how she felt toward them, really, because she got to a point where she just didn't feel this other thing. She didn't feel the excitement. And once that was over, you know, she's just like, you're in my way, so I'm going to kill you so I can go and do whatever I want. Well, you'd almost rather have somebody murder someone passionately as opposed to, you know, dispassionately. I'm just bored. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess I'll just, I'll sit around and watch you die in your chair while you're having stomach cramps and shitting yourself. And then after that, I can go on and do whatever else I need to do. Yeah, because it wasn't even a psychotic break or anything like that, you know, or some compulsion thing. You know, there a lot of serial killers have this compulsion or this really uh, traumatizing thing tying it all in. But her childhood wasn't really other than her father wasn't really particularly horrible she just had a disconnect somewhere so yeah that's nanny hazel or nanny doss i guess that's her married name (laughs) whichever one (laughs) we'll just call her the giggling nanny that's fucking creepy dude and they all died happily ever after you know these stories that aaron tells are so sweet they're like bedtime stories I remember that when the grandkids start rolling in. We we shall return to stare into the blinding abyss of the fourth movie you watch in hell right after this. Have you ever looked at a movie and said, what the hell is that? How could a movie with that low of a budget, corny acting, cheesy special effects, or that strange of a plot even be worth watching? Well, have I got the show for you. Join me, Matthew Angry Ginger, for the bad, the weird, and the cheesy. I'll be bringing you on a journey through cinema's oddities. I will cover all genres of film, and hopefully shed some light on why these films are worth watching. Track down the bad, the weird, and the cheesy podcast on Facebook and on Podbean. Here it is, the Halloween season. Our favorite time of the year. We watch horror movies all year round, so we're not the kinds of people who are like, ooh, let's watch horror movies all throughout October. I mean, come on, that's us all the time. So watching chick flicks for a month really is a stretch for us because we actively avoid these movies all the time with only a few exceptions. I mean, you know, we like Grease. And we liked Overboard. We like Carrie. (laughs) Well, that's a different kind of chick flick. That is the ultimate chick flick. Yes, I will agree with that. (laughs) But... As we approached this fourth movie you watch in hell, we were besieged by self-doubt. And we began to doubt our mission. We were, why were we doing this? To what end? Why were we putting ourselves through this unimaginable pain, this month of agony? Who would notice if we simply disappeared into a pile of treacle, 
sugar-coated plot points, questionable character motivations, and horrible soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And yet, we realized it was too late to turn back. It's our attempt to get through hell without the devil knowing we're here. It is us acting as Homer, your blind guide through the underworld of romantic commentaries. This is the second level of hell, and it is an area of hell that doesn't get talked about much. It has nothing to do with everlasting fire or demons poking you in the ass with their shiny flaming pitchforks. It has nothing to do with separation from your God or everything you love. It's boredom. Nobody discusses the idea that hell might be hell just because it's fucking boring. Imagine an eternal piano recital. Envision a timeshare pitch that never ends. That office with the wood paneling and those ties and those alleged vouchers for free food that never show up. Think about behind-the-scenes featurettes for a foreign television show with no subtitles, a show you never actually get to watch. That is what the second level of hell consists of. Not much. And you know, we picked the perfect movie to represent that. Let's listen to the trailer for the fourth movie you watch in hell. Melanie Carmichael has it all. Seven years ago, you were this scared little thing from Alabama, and now you're my steel magnolia. She's the hottest designer in the fashion world. She's dating the son of New York's mayor, and she's about to get... Where are we? The proposal of her dreams. Oh, my God. Melanie Carmichael, will you marry me? Oh, my God. Pick one. Oh, my God. But before she can tie the knot... I'm in Alabama. She needs to tie up one loose end. Get your stubborn self down here and give me a divorce. What? As I live and struggle for breath. Please sign these papers. The only reason I ain't signed is because you've turned into some hoity-toity Yankee... This fall... Don't get them Yankees. People need a passport to come down here. For the first time in seven years, she's come home. Daddy! Either back to surrender! Thank you! To face the past she tried to forget. Nobody finds her soulmate when they're ten years old. I mean, where's the fun in that, right? She thought she had everything she ever wanted. I think a nice country wedding is just the ticket. One down. Seven million to go. But she's discovering how much she left behind. You all come with me? I can't. The girl I knew used to be fearless. The girl you knew didn't have a life. I guess you better get on with it then. Touchstone Pictures presents... Melanie? Look at you, all fancy. Look at you. You have a baby. In a bar. A story about finding out what you really need. What are you doing here? I came to deliver your fiancé. You and I are in love with the same girl. Oh, my God. Who you really are. What I need to know is if there is a place for me in your future. And where you really belong. I'm really happy in New York. But then I come down here and this fits, too. Reese Witherspoon. Sweet Home Alabama. Can he swim? Doesn't look like it. Sweet Home Alabama from 2002. 
It stars Reese Witherspoon, Josh Lucas, and Patrick Dempsey with a really annoying supporting role from Candace Bergen as Murphy Brown, the mayor of New York. Now, this movie involves a love triangle, a cursory examination into the differences between the North and South, and maybe one of the worst female characters I've ever seen in a film. I mean, simply reprehensible. And yet the film's largest failing is being boring. I mean, aggressively boring. Well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You've made a career out of not making a whole lot of sense. <laughs> I will not deny that. <laughs> but... Let's see if we can make any sense out of this movie. Sweet Home Alabama, here are at least 10 things we hate about you. Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is, this is really, really scary now. I didn't come up with 10 things. Like, it was so meh. I tried pretty hard. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how how we do. <laughs> well, the first thing that just like tweaked me was we're less than ten minutes into the film and somebody says, "Steel Magnolia." Like seriously. Yeah, because that's a thing now. See, that's a role model. If you're a Southern woman, and you did something kind of difficult, like in this movie, you know, if you like designed a dress, then you've accomplished something, and now you're a Steel Magnolia. Fuck you. Right. This movie starts off with two of the main characters as children. They're like ten. And the boy kisses the girl and says that he's going to marry her so he can kiss her all the time. They're on a beach at midnight by themselves. So, you know, great parenting, everybody. Good job. Um, but when the kids kiss, lightning strikes the beach and creates a big hunk of, here's your word for the night, fulgurite. Nice. Fulgurite is lightning glass, if you all don't know what that is. That's when... Well, lightning strikes sand, and then the heat from the lightning melts the sand, and when it hardens, well, there you go. So, cute kids kissing on the beach, almost destroyed by Mother Nature, and why didn't that happen? That would have been okay. <laughs> I kept waiting for something like that. You know how when you get into a movie, and you're like, I'm already like a half hour in, I'm kind of invested, I keep hoping there's going to be a payoff. Yeah, there is no payoff. Sweet Home Alabama is all about Melanie Carmichael. She's played by Reese Witherspoon, and she's got it all. She's a fashion designer. She's just had her first solo show, and of course, it just went over so great. And she's in love with the son of the mayor of New York, Mick Dreamy himself, Patrick Dempsey. He's the boyfriend. Candace Bergen's his mom, and she's the mayor. But the first thing you'll notice is just how Melanie struts through the fashion section of the city. Walking by old cars and graffitied walls, and she's so hip, and she's so independent. I bet she listens to Alanis Morissette. Ugh. You know, I was it was killing me the whole time we were watching this movie, trying to figure out that dude's name. Patrick fucking Dempsey. Really? Yep. <laughs> Sorry. What else has he been in? Like, what do I know him from? Because his fucking face... Fucking Grey's Anatomy. I never watched Grey's Anatomy. We saw commercials. Yeah, maybe that's it then. His face just is... I can't decide if Large. I want I want to I can't decide if I want to smash it or just play with it like silly putty. <laughs> I reckon you can. I think you could make his nose into any shape you wanted to, like a dog. I think so. You know. And I swear to God, I don't know if his hair can get any taller. Like he looks like a fucking Kennedy. I think he's supposed to actually. Yeah, you're probably that may right. Have, 
that may have been what we're, that may have been what they're trying to get across because after her show, he takes Melanie to Tiffany's after hours, Ugh. like he like he like he's rented the place, all right, and then he proposes to her and tells her to pick out an engagement ring out of the entire store. Now you know what? This is not romantic. <laughs> it's not. I don't care how rich you are. This is expensive and lazy. Because basically what you're saying is, I don't know what you like, and I don't want to take the time to find out, so just pick one. Yeah. They should be going to the Golden Corral for dinner. Hey, it's a buffet. You like chicken? They got it. You like shrimp? They got it. You like hepatitis? They got it. And it was kind of creepy, too. Like, I mean, think about this. He rents out the goddamn Tiffany & Company store, and all of the fucking employees are standing there watching them, smiling, like... That's one cocky motherfucker to spend the kind of money it would take to keep all those employees there for this, like, secret special shopping trip. He, he just assumed she was going to say yes. You know, so there's like ten salespeople there, and one person is actually going to get any money from this entire ordeal. So, And he makes a big point about how, oh, I'm a Democrat. Are you really? Because I don't think so. They should have had, a like, a Thunderdome fight. Oh, fuck! To decide who got to wait on them. This movie needed a Thunderdome fight. Yeah, This did. movie needed seven Thunderdome fights. <laughs> I would have been happy with one, but yeah, seven? That would have been phenomenal. Ugh. Now, McDreamy's mother, of course, hates Melanie, but McDreamy is so head over heels in love with Melanie that he bucks against his mother's wishes and grows a pair of balls for once and continues his relationship with her, but his mother's convinced that there's a problem with Melanie, something that they just don't know about. And she's right. Mm-hmm. Melanie's still married to some dude in Alabama. Has been for seven years. Now, isn't that something you might want to bring up during conversation? Not to mention her last name is Smooter. Right. <laughs> Fake last name, the whole deal. But I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, honey, you, you know I love your penis, but you should probably realize that you should, through no fault of your own, you've just committed adultery. I don't know how you feel about that. I just want to throw it out there. Want some cereal? I mean... <laughs> something. Something. She's from fucking Pigeon Creek, Alabama, which they may as well have just named it Poverty Creek because that's all you see. It's all old pickup trucks and unraked leaves and bloodhounds. That's the entire town. That's it. Mm-hmm. It looks like it looks kind of like uh, Del Rio. <laughs> oh my God! Got a, it does. They got a few more shops than Del Rio, but not much. So Melanie's husband, who is unremarkably named Jake. Won't give her the divorce. She keeps sending the papers. He keeps sending them back. But she's bound and determined to make him let her go. So she drives to Alabama to confront him. And she is so ashamed. Her parents live in a trailer. And Jake lives in kind of a rundown house where he works on car parts in the kitchen and doesn't shave. The horror of it all. Oh, she just can't believe that she ever let redneck dick into her reformed city pussy. And she just hates being home. Oh, dear. Now, fuck you. Let's be honest. <laughs> All right. Now, look, to an extent, I get that. I don't want to go back to my hometown either. 
most of the people that I really loved as a kid have either moved away or they're not interested in having a conversation with me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so I bother, right? I mean, you know, I get it. But it's not the town itself I hate. I'm not ashamed of that town. Thinking of where I grew up doesn't always fill me with dread and self-loathing. Sometimes, not always, but her reaction to being back there is just so over the top. Yeah, it really is. That, but, I mean, it, everything is over the top. She's mad at her parents for not coming to visit her in New York City. She's mad because Jake won't give her a divorce. She's mad because every time she turns the corner, there's someone there who remembers her from when she was a kid. It's kind of like going to the Walmart out east here, where Cootie mm. always runs into people she went to high school with. <laughs> and they're busy trying to hit on me or catch up on the last 30 years in like a five minute conversation and I'm busy trying to remember their name and think of a really easy way to get out of that conversation yeah, Michelle you didn't bug her off you know born here raised here and except for a little sit in Georgia you stayed here yeah yeah that's true so and let's be honest I didn't like most of them people in high school I'm probably not gonna like them now so well, in order to make Jake sign the divorce papers, Melanie pulls some stunts. <laughs> some cunning stunts. Is that what you call that? Sure. She pulls all the money out of their old joint account, which leaves Jake practically destitute. He's got more money than she thought he would, and she is confused by this and badgers him constantly about why he's got all that money. Oh, shut up, bitch! How about none of your goddamn business? You've been gone for seven fucking years. Stop asking questions. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the worst thing she does, and if this doesn't make you absolutely hate this character, I don't know what to tell you. But she goes to the local bar, dressed to the nines, stiletto heels. She gets sloppy drunk. And she starts talking to all these people she used to know, people she grew up with, like they're total garbage. She even outs the nice little homosexual dude in front of everybody. Oh, mm -hmm. know how you know he's gay? Because he reads Women's Wear Daily. I know a lot of men who read Women's Wear Daily who are not gay. Yeah. This is stupid. I mean, and it's not like everyone in town didn't know, I'm sure, but nobody fucking yells it out in the bar, you know? Yeah. So, no decorum, nothing. And it's at this point that Jake starts thinking, hell, she ain't so bad. <laughs> what is going on here? How does that give you a positive impression of this person? I mean, if I went to the Buckethead, which is our local bar, and I started talking shit real loud, Trey, the owner, he would toss me out on my ear, and he likes me. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Melanie even pukes in the driver's seat of Jake's truck. Ain't that just fucking cute? Yeah, but he's still in love with her, honey. Well, no, you know what? Because this, this is the whole issue right here. Ain't she just fucking cute? This is the first terrible lesson that this movie teaches. is that you can get away with anything if you're adorable enough. You don't have to have manners. You don't have to use tact. You just waltz around and demand things, and these things will happen because look at your dimples and your cute haircut. Ugh. Off topic, how many times did we hear the word Yankee in this movie? 18? 20? Mm, yeah, something like that. I lost count. Now, I expect that from her father, who's a Civil War reenactor, but everyone uses the word Yankee in this movie, so I guess we're not over the Civil War down here. I guess Alabama has no place in the New South. 
I guess that's why the only major African-American character in this movie is a homosexual fashion designer from New York. I don't get Warren reenactments. <laughs> There's something to be said for historical accuracy, I think. Mm. You know, the uniforms are cool, but yeah, I don't under, I don't I don't get it either. There are things happening in this movie. <laughs> But it feels like nothing is happening in this movie. Yeah, it's... I mean, Jake's got a big secret that everyone in town knows, but Melanie doesn't. Jake is Melanie's big secret that no one in New York knows about. So you know the second lesson this movie teaches? Relationships succeed when there is lying and a lack of communication. Sounds right. So what is Jake's big secret? What is Melanie's big secret? What's McDreamy's big secret? Why does it take two hours to find all this shit out? Because we get answers to it, but it's going to take fuck all forever. I, that's the point I was about to make, is that it's, it takes fucking two hours to like bring all this shit together for the big fucking reveal at the end. And it's just kind of meh. Because they broadcast the fuck out of every plot point, and it's ridiculously predictable, and it's the... none of the characters are endearing. We don't get any scene that really pulls at the emotions like a chick flick is supposed to until about an hour in, and that takes place in a pet cemetery. Oh yeah, when she's crying over her dead dog. Right, she has an emotional catharsis talking to Jake's dead dog. But whatever, it's a chick flick, right? Let's talk about dead dogs. Fuck it, let's talk about dead babies. Whatever it takes, right? Whatever will make the audience cry. I mean, ugh. Oh yeah, well, they talk about a dead baby too. So they just they, they just get that all out right there in the, the pet cemetery. Right. <sighs> Which I wish had been on an Indian burial ground. But. Yeah, right? Out there past the deadfall? Yeah. yeah, you and me both. We didn't get that. Now dig this. After the night she makes an ass out of herself at the bar, everyone in town just forgives her. Even Jake. Even the man she outed as gay. Everyone just seems to be totally cool with her. Now here's the question. Is this because she's become someone more recognizable to them now? And if so, is that because she was such a raging bitch when she lived there that this was the kind of behavior they were expecting from her the whole time? What kind of miserable person is this? <laughs> Why did someone not take her out behind the barn and shoot her like old Yeller when she was 13? <laughs> <laughs> now, as tone deaf and wretched as Melanie is, let's look at Jake for just a second, because Jake is set up as the good guy here, you know? We eventually learn why he's not been signing the divorce papers, and... It's because he's been working hard to try to make himself good enough to earn Melanie's love. He's learned art, and he's opening a shop, and we'll get to what kind of shop that is here in a second. But he has spent seven years trying to meet the standards of a woman who ran out on him after either miscarrying or aborting his child. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I know, you know, he says, Mother Nature didn't want you to have that baby. But do you really expect her to say, Nah, I just had an abortion because I had to get the fuck out of this town. She's a pathological liar. She might as well have told him a lion crawled into her womb and ate the baby while she slept, and he would have believed it. 
is this woman worth all this effort? Well, he certainly seems to think so. Yee! I think he's the one who should have left town. Right. There's more women out there, and they're not all crazy. <laughs> anyway, after, I don't know, what, a year, two years watching this goddamn movie, he does finally sign the papers, which, whatever. So, Melanie and McDreamy plan this big, fat wedding in her hometown. So, here's this meeting of the New York elite with the Alabama down-home folk. Now, if it was done intelligently, this could have been a rich comedy mine. But it's not done intelligently. Nope. There's, a, there's a gag with a reclining chair and more usages of the word Yankee, and that's really all we get. So, here's Jake's secret. <laughs> Throughout the movie, Melanie's been admiring these glasses she's seen at like local bars and restaurants. Not, not eyeglasses, like actual glasses. You know, Drinking glasses. You, you know, like you drink from. Jake has learned how to make glass. In fact, on stormy nights, he pounds tall pieces of rebar into the beach so he can make his own lightning glass. Mm -hmm. This is a man obsessed. A little bit. It's passive-aggressive as fuck, but he is obsessed. Not really a stalker, just a man who refuses to let go of his ideals. Or or, or find that ideal somewhere else. <laughs> or change his mind about what his ideal could be. This is like being 50 years old, but still holding on to that crush you had on your third grade teacher. So you start growing apples. <laughs> Because you need to put that perfect apple on your teacher's desk. Fuck me. Grow up. Get laid. Do something. I mean, good on you for opening a business. Right on. But that business is like, a, it's, it's such a desperate plea for attention. It's like this memorial for uh, this dead thing that you just keep alive in your mind. Like a little shitty redneck version of the Taj Mahal. I mean, he may as well have just made a glass sculpture of himself holding a boombox over his head that plays In Your Eyes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You're not wrong. Now, when we get to the wedding between Melanie and McDreamy, her lawyer shows up. Because, you know, we need a fucking deus ex machina to come in and just fuck up the third act. So all this time... Melanie has forgotten to sign the divorce papers herself. She mailed them off with his signature, but not hers. So even with her wedding dress on, she's still married to Jake. And his mother says, not hers, his mother says to her, that weren't no accident. Mm. So the whole movie comes down to a Freudian slip. Mm-hmm. She decides that, I, I don't know, I guess she decides that she loves Jake. She at least likes him. She's not willing to leave. She just so she loves Jake. She loves her hometown, and there's no place like home. And oh, click, 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 and everything's hunky dory. Nick Dreamy isn't even mad. He doesn't put up a fight. Doesn't even complain about letting her go. Oh, and here's McDreamy's secret. When he was a teenager, he used to deliver pizza boys, and he used to bang all the milfs that would call in on the food. <laughs> So his mother's pissed, but that's okay, because Melanie decks her. Yep, she hauls off and decks the mayor of New York City. I'm so glad somebody punched Murphy Brown. 
But you know what? Some they'd have shot her. You know, I thought about that too. As it as like the movie started to end and they were having that big fucking party, I was like, she just punched the fucking mayor of New York City in the face. She is getting arrested. Right, and nobody did anything, but that's okay. You know why? Because she's just so fucking cute. No, fuck that. She can get away with assault. Ain't she just a firecracker? Fuck you. <laughs> so I guess she gives up her career in fashion design to help Jake with his business and give him a couple of dismounts. I mean, they make sure to show us a picture of McDreamy and his new bride, so he got a happy ending, too. More ways than one, more likely. So, hooray. Everybody's happy, and everybody's cute, and everybody's a fucking liar, and everybody gets rewarded for it, and this movie's terrible. Yeah. I also want to mention real quick that um, Sweet Home Alabama made over $100 million at the box office. Uh, Yankee dollars. Gotta be. Now, I'm sure some sons and daughters with the beautiful South saw it also, but I cannot verify what they all thought of it. <laughs> so, what the hell do we drink after Sweet Home Alabama? What will be strong enough to wipe this from our brains? Well, I don't know, but God damn it, somebody better buy me a drink. Now what we should do tomorrow? Keep drinking. Have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head, a couple of the little princess, stagger back in. Back at the bar for shots. How's that for a slice of fried gold? All right, Alabama, Alabama. What do I think of when I think of drinks in Alabama? I think of draft beer. I think of the four fucking terrible cover version of Sweet Home Alabama we heard in this movie. Four fucking covers. All of them terrible. All of them. Just and you know why? They're, because they're so precise. It's not like there's no slur into it. It's all just like, sweet home Alabama, dead on the notes, screws it up. It's like, this is the least fun song I've ever heard in my life. Okay, sorry. Uh, Alabama, radiator fluid. Uh, antifree- yeah, antifreeze comes to mind. <laughs> but I think maybe this is the movie where we finally just break down and say a moonshine. I was thinking that. Just straight out the backyard. <laughs> you know, yeah. It- if you go blind after you drank it, then it was probably good. Well, you know, after a couple of sips, it don't matter anymore. That's true. Of course, if you wake up the next day and you're still blind, maybe that's an issue. But, <sighs> but yeah, that's what I think. I think you need just straight up homemade shine to get through this movie and maybe deal with the aftermath. Because, I don't know, this could require therapy. Mm, I don't think it was enough to require therapy. It was just annoying. It's just boring. Boring, Yeah. It was annoying in its boringness. Like you said, it's just two hours to solve these mysteries or whatever that we've already figured out. Shallow characters, shallow plot. Just nothing. Just nothing. It's like you keep looking at the time, trying to figure out (laughs) how much longer do we have to go on this. I did that through the whole fucking movie. It's like, damn, are they not close to wrapping this up yet? We all know where it's going. Jesus. Just... Ugh, it felt it felt like an eternity. Mm. Well, fuck it. Yeehaw, boys and girls. Let's grab us up some grub. Maybe Chef Al's got some snacks set up for us. Or maybe he's prepared a delightful dinner for two. This meal looks quite delightful, Betty. Oh, it's just something I threw together, that's all. Well, shall we dig in?
Everyone's so hungry. There were so many opportunities to spin off of things in this. Some sort of like southern food meets northern food mashup kind of deal. Or, but Fred Ward says, "Can I? Should I get some bologna cake out of the freezer?" We don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. and my brain okay. just shut down at that point. And uh, <laughs> it's like that was the record skip. It's like, whoa, I'm coming back to this. <laughs> There's no way I'm not getting around this. Um, so, yeah, apparently this is a major enigma of many people that have watched this movie. <laughs> Glad to know we aren't the only ones. Yeah. I was like, the fuck are they doing in Alabama that they have something called bologna cake? Well, apparently, bologna cake, after I bothered to take the time to look it up, is a thing. May or may not have seen pictures of it. It was kind of like a trendy thing a while ago, or at least a trendy thing to take pictures of, not necessarily eat. But it's uh, where you take slices of bologna and put cream cheese in between the layers of them and stack it up so it kind of looks like a layer cake. Ew. Yeah, yeah. And there's some... You know, self-congratulatory uh, Instagram pictures of people doing stuff like that, making bologna look like a wedding cake or something like that. But um, I thought, well, I can kind of run with this idea a little bit. And so I, I, I guess what I basically came up with was a uh, bologna funnel cake. Ah. So I have bologna. <laughs> um, and I don't think I have to get into that too much, but... Um, What's not? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, it's one of those things. It's better off not to know. It's 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 kind of like messing around with like uh, the book of Ebon or uh, <laughs> one hundred and one quick and easy recipes from the Mad Era, that kind of a thing. Uh, so I, I thought I would take that basic idea of like layering the bologna with the cream cheese, but me being me, I have to make my own cream cheese. <laughs> right. So. I did want to kind of go back to that northerner, southerner conflict hybrid thing. Cream cheese uh, is actually, you'd be hard pressed to actually call it cheese. It's a dairy product. There's no coincidence that the labels usually say it's a cheese food product. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So rather than having milk like cultured with a bacteria or uh, some kind of destabilizer that like breaks the way, away from the curd uh, it's basically thickened with a uh, substance called guar gum which is not like it's, it's it's an ancient ingredient it's not like some newfangled thing that was created in a lab with like lightning bolts and that kind of stuff cream cheese is basically like milk that's like thickened with uh, an emulsifier i kind of took that uh in a different direction where i i took brie because I figured that would be like a big city kind of a thing to do. Um, right on. And uh, a little bit of white wine with uh, some roasted red pepper, a little cayenne, a little mustard. So kind of like leaning towards a bit of a pimento cheese kind of a thing. And blended that up over over low heat with, uh, it's a salt, it's going to sound scarier than it is, um, uh, called, called sodium alginate. Okay. It's, it's basically a salt 
that uh, a, a sodium molecule that derives from citrus. And this is the additive that uh, basically created Velveeta, or most processed cheeses. Uh, basically, it combines with uh, dairy protein and fat and lets them stay together into that kind of like creamy, melty kind of a thing. And that's a Canadian invention, so I'm tying everything together. Wow. Uh, All right. Uh, sort of a nice tripartite uh, scenario going on. Uh, <laughs> So it's sort of a, a shishi, uh, melty pimento cheese kind of a variant. So I, I layered a bit of that in between layers of sliced bologna. I did throw in a little bit of pulled pork just because I wanted some actual meat involved. Uh, <laughs> and that seemed kind of apropos. Now, was this a standard I, bologna or did you make your own bologna also? I did not make my own bologna. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. I, that seems legit to me. You oh, could, totally. That's totally something that you would do. It's something I've done in the past. There you go. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> it's one of those things. You, you can put a lot of time and effort into making something that is essentially a factory product. And it's one of those, like, I'll, I'll just leave that to the pros. <laughs> 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 so I have basically all of those things layered up. I put them into like a, a mold, which in this case, I say it's a mold, but it's an empty cream corn can. And... Uh, put some weight on it so it all kind of like sets up together and then just basically made a uh, like a beer batter just like something you'd fry chicken or fish in uh rolled it in that as you uh, saw in the visual aids that i sent uh speared it and uh, fried the whole thing up that is all kinds of state fair amazing that is just <laughs> it really is that's what i was going for it's um, just a carnival on a stick if I was gonna like really try to like mash it up with the film, I would have tried to rig something where I stuck a lightning rod in it and went out into the middle of a field. Oh, sweet <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> oh, jeez. If you're trying to harness the power of lightning, do you do that by like walking around carrying lightning rods? You do if you're a dumbass. Yep. That, that seemed like a saw trap. Right. <laughs> I just picture a guy like stripped naked on a beach with his hands duct taped behind his back with a lightning rod on a hat. <laughs> and like having to run through a storm. Like, ugh. That sounds right. Yeah. You've spent your entire life trying to gain the affections of a woman who clearly doesn't love you. <laughs> but he was a nice guy because he never hit her. Yeah. Oh, there's chemistry there because there was never any domestic violence that wasn't psychological or social. <laughs> I hated this movie. This movie is so terrible. Outside Observer. Was this movie like a parody of like Southern interpretations of Northern Americans, or or the other way around, or who was making fun of whom? We don't know. Yeah. We do know that we heard the word Yankee about 28 times during the film. I don't, I've never heard anybody down here use the term Yankee unless we're talking about baseball. So. <laughs> or unless we're giving, you know, friends who are from the North just absolute shit, which that happens sometimes. Hmm. Well, well, yeah, but we, we don't say, oh, you're a damn Yankee. We just start talking like they do until they, you know, stop. <laughs> until it gets worse. Right. Uh, yeah, we could do it better than you. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah, where was like Herschel Gordon Lewis? Like, I, I, I'll take 2001 Maniacs. That would have been more. That 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 would have been Florida more than Alabama, though. Uh, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who was making fun of who. I don't know because it was almost like, hey, come to Alabama. We're all really, really poor, and all of the gays are closeted, and we like it like that. And we got this crazy motherfucker who shoots anvils up into the sky <laughs> on his plantation. Um, Yankees are dumb. I don't know. I don't know how it, it, it never played out right. I forgot about yeah. that crazy old fucker. I think I liked him better than anybody in the movie. He was living like in his own little world away from the movie. Yep. <laughs> so he was kind of, he was like nicely insulated from everything else that was going on. <laughs> He didn't realize he was in the movie, so... Yeah, he was in the movie, not of the movie. <laughs> yeah. That gives you an edge. A- amazing simulations of New York high fashion. And you know what? I'm so tired of New York high fashion at this point. In between Sex and the City and this damn movie, just no. Because if this was all you knew about women, this is all you would think. Just like, hey, women really like ugly clothes and emotional manipulation and that's it yep thinking about being emotionally manipulated all the time like it's a hobby <laughs> yeah right Jesus. Uh, yeah yeah it's no captain ron i'll say that much it is not it's no overboard <laughs> that's and that's to its that's to its shame that is to yeah. its detriment yep. yeah uh, Okay, well, good. I'm glad we agreed on this, if that was just a, a horrible thing. Yeah, I was going to try to, like, punk you. I was going to try to come on and be like, I really enjoyed it, and thanks for introducing me to this movie and stuff, but... <laughs> I only would have killed me. Uh... I'd have choked. <laughs> yeah. Pulling out in the floor, just choked. <laughs> this is a touching one, story. <laughs> I've been like, yep, that's it. The body snatchers are here. <laughs> they must have landed in Nova Scotia first. <laughs> I understand. I understand these character motivations completely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was so reasonable. Aggressive <laughs> portrayal of gay and African American characters. <sighs> All right. Slight buzz on, belly full, and now we're ready to answer all your questions about life, love, and proper satanic etiquette. It's time to ask Aunt Cody. You talking to me? What do you do? What's in the fucking box? Does he look like a bitch? What's the boogeyman? Did you see the memo about this? Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? If you've listened to the show before, kids, you know how to send in your questions. You know that there is no topic off limits, and you know there is no such thing as too much information. But if this is your first time joining us here on Kiss the Goat, then let us break this down for you real quick. We love to interact with our listeners, and one way we do that is by answering your questions on the show. The easiest and most fun way to do that is by joining our Facebook group. 
good times, good people. Really, it's like Dave and Buster's without the overpriced beer. So go to facebook.com slash groups slash kiss the goat and join all the other happy acolytes frolicking about in a digital glen of our own devising. You can also visit our website, kissthegoat.com, for older episodes, recipes from Chef Al, and merchandise from our merch store, Where the Goat. You know what our biggest seller is? Baphomet wrapping paper. <laughs> now, won't that be perfect for Christmas? You can send us a question through the website, and we'll get it almost instantly because technology is amazing. It is indeed. You can also give us a little dingle-dangle on the goat line. Leave us a voicemail with your question, and we will answer it as drunkenly as we possibly can. The number is 865-309-4969 for the goat line. Our operators are standing by. Well probably more like sitting by but you get the picture or you can just send us an email fire your emissives towards the goat of madness at gmail.com cootie please read our first question of the evening all of our questions tonight come from matt tangent shit he must really need our help <laughs> his first question is dear aunt goatee i sometimes find myself watching the nature channel and getting aroused is that wrong <laughs> i don't know if uh, I'll think wrong is the word I would use. It's pretty primal there, Matt. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I mean, we did go through that whole kind of Iron John phase for men a few years back. Get back to your cave and grow long hair and get bearded, which I know Matt is a bearded individual, so I don't know. Right on. I, 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 think, I think you get aroused at what you get aroused at, and that's fine. I'm not, yep. not going to tell you the shit that does it for me, because God... Damn. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Finally, Matt asks, Dear Aunt Goaty, I have a problem. <laughs> we know. My, my wife doesn't approve of my communing with the Dark One. How can we move past this as I can't possibly give up on my wife or the dark lure of the abyss? Well, Matt, I gotta tell you. I think that communication and sharing is one of the most important things in any relationship. So you just got to talk to her frankly about why it's important to you and let her talk about why she doesn't, quote, approve of it. It may just be because she doesn't know enough. Maybe she's a little scared. And given some time and some open communication, I think you guys can work through it. Have you brought up the buggery? Because that would convince me, Cause there's, personally. Because there's, there's some hot buggery going on with in, in, in the abyss. That's why it's dark. <laughs> so, yeah. Just bring up the buggery. See if that, you know, kind of gets her going. You know, just get her nose open for it. You'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, so buggery and open communication. But mostly buggery. Most, mostly buggery, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, next week we're going to be presenting the final movie you watch in hell. So be sure to get your romantic advice question in, in for uh, Aunt Goey all quick-like. That's it for this episode. Hey, thanks to Bo at Legion for making sure these big wheels keep on turning, carrying us home to see our can. My God, will you stop? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. 
Thanks to our acolytes in the Facebook group for keeping things real and still having fun with this shit. We're coming up on our 50th episode, y'all. That's a milestone. And we're looking into how we can celebrate that in a very special way. More details soon on that, so keep listening. And thanks to all of you for listening. You're really the ones who keep this spinning wheel turning around. Until next time, my name is X. And I'm Cootie. Let, Let love rule. <laughs> for fuck's sake, X. I know. This is getting progressive worse now. Shoot me now. about Lenny Kravitz. I don't understand. I can't. Just go back to Latin.